Hello and welcome, I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. We are still very much knee-deep in tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 123, recorded on June 11th, 2020. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on kneedeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. Simon, we seem to be missing someone. I have no clue on where to fin him. Yeah, we, we've, we've misplaced the fin. It happens, but I, I have it on good authority that he will be back. It, yeah, we, we can be sure on that, definitely, since he had been working very, very hard to um, renew his uh, recording equipment, basically buying a lot of cool stuff. Pretty much buying anything he can get his hands on, which in this day and age means not very much at all, because everything is out of stock. But today's headlines are, for instance, we're going to look at increased resistance against ransomware here in Sweden. We have the new Power BI June update. We have some interesting new features in the Azure Firewall that I'm, I'm curious to, to see what your thoughts are. And uh, apparently we are now able to do in interesting things with virtualization again. So let's <laughs> again. just, again, yeah, let's, let's just dive straight into it, shall we? Uh, what about the, the ransomware stuff? Bring us up to speed. Yeah, and I'll first ask you to provide me with a translation of the actual governmental agency that have released this. So it's in Swedish MSB, Myndigheten för samhällsskydd och beredskap. It's called the Swedish Civil Contingencies Agency. I would never, ever have figured that out. So there's a new thing in town. It's called Google. You can actually put things in and, and, and you, get, you can search for things in Google, basically. Does it work like Bing? The, the, the main difference between Google and Bing is that you uh, search for things in, in Bing and you find them using Google. Ah, uh, makes sense. So it's like Evreka. And Alta Vista and stuff like that, that you have no idea what it is, but keep going. Yeah, this governmental agency is, is all about ensuring that our society works as it should in crisis. So they have, have, a have had a lot to do the last couple of months, but they have in uh, collaboration with a number of other agencies just released uh, a report that are aimed against uh, or towards other agencies and how to protect themselves from ransomware attacks. Since we have seen a number of huge ransomware attacks, in many cases connected to COVID. So we did talk about the um, reports that our intelligence agency uh, released a couple of weeks ago. So this is basically following up on that with emphasis on ransomware and especially healthcare, uh, if I've read the blog post correctly. So the, the entire paper that they've released um, is basically about what is a ransomware, how to protect against it, and how to handle it if you're under attack. So they have some general recommendations when a ransomware has actually hit uh, your organization and just as i said in, in the previous episode never pay the ransom under no circumstances pay the ransom isolate uh, contain um, 
uh, isolate uh, encrypted devices, report the incident as early as possible, get help. And I think that that's a very important point, which we see in a lot of cases, like get some serious help as early as possible in the process and uh, ensure that when you start to actually come back online, ensure that the attackers are actually out of the environment. Could I interject a question here? Uh, considering the fact that you're you're working for one of the main security companies here in Sweden, what is your take on, you said, get help. How many companies would you say know how to find their way out of a, a serious security incident on their own? Is, is there a lot of people that can do that? Or, or do you really need to, to go to the specialized companies? If you have a full-blown ransomware attack, very, very few organizations are able to handle that and especially ensure that the attackers are out of the environment because that that's something I've learned during my time at TrueSec as well, that it's fairly easy to reinstall a couple of thousand clients. It's fairly easy to restore a couple of servers. But then you have to do it again and again and again since they are the attackers are persistent in your environment. Uh, and if we talk about a full-blown attack, you can't get out of it if you don't have a knowledge of what you're doing. If you have a single device or something like that, yeah, sure. But ensure to investigate any attack from that perspective. All right, so so this immediately brings a thought that I just had pop into my head. Is there any way to insure your company against these things? And And could I insure my company using your services for instance uh yeah uh, you can so so most of the big insurance companies have cyber insurances oh they do yes they do but to get a cyber insurance you need to show that you have taken all the needed measures to protect yourselves first so that's things we do as well when we work with incidents once the incident is out we ensure that the company can be insured. Ah. There's definitely cyber insurance. It's getting more and more common, and I believe that's a part of our new laws and regulations that is upcoming in terms of cybersecurity as well, that you should have a cyber insurance. And I know that there are plenty of now acquisitions, um, public tenders and such, that requires the organizations that replies on them or uh, that want to acquire someone that the acquired company should have a cyber insurance cool i did not know that yeah so definitely both international insurance companies and swedish insurance companies have those services yes we have similar services but that's more of an agreement that if you're hit by an attack we will be there within four hours or whatever it is and work until it's it's done work tirelessly into the night if it was only for one night. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good name for this episode. Only one night. <laughs> I, I had a couple of other ones, but taken out of context, they won't be allowed on Spotify. So let's continue. Uh, so just to sum things up, they also have, in, in the, the report, they also have a number of suggestions and advice to technicians and administrators on how to handle the ongoing uh, maintenance of their environments and it, it's really and this 
this frustrates me to a degree I can't even start to describe. Their top one is activate anti-malware, even on servers. What? Yeah. And I, I'm in, in I'm in a world that really, if you don't have anti-malware on servers, you're doing something very, very bad. So it's a bunch of great recommendations, and I'm actually a bit like I would have loved for these reports to be translated to English because it's very good, easy to understand content, which is applicable to anyone. Interesting. And something that is actually translated to English and also very applicable to pretty much anyone is the June update for Power BI Desktop. And as always, it's a huge update. Or is it really? It depends on how you define huge. It has a few updates that doesn't sound like much, but they, they really make a difference. So I've, I've just uh, pulled out three of them because otherwise we're going to be here all night. I'm very interested in the first one, since I hope that there's a Windows somewhere in that first one. No, absolutely not. So the first one is the, the new phone emulator. And the phone emulator is not at all what it sounds like. So one of the things that you can do with Power BI is author uh, mobile reports, right? Hmm? But the problem is it's it's not been a very representative UI. It's 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 been quite doable, but it it has not been a modern sleek UI in the same in in the way that the rest of, of Power BI desktop is. But they have now enhanced the mobile authoring experience and put in a new phone emulator that makes it so much easier to to um, draw things on on a simulated phone canvas. So this this means that we're going to get a lot of, of uh, Im improved um, reports and stuff for phone. And one thing that people don't realize is that now there's support for overlaid visuals. So you can actually stack visuals on top of each other. And there's a good reason why you want to do that, because some visuals you cannot have more than one axis in, for instance. But if you stack two on top uh -huh. of each other, yes, that's the sound. And now you can do that with the mobile authoring experience as well. Cool. So question, if I were to go to a web page or a page where you have a Power BI report, mm -hmm. will that understand if I'm viewing it on a phone or from a PC? Or do you have one separate report per platform? No, that, that's, a, that's a great question because the, the answer is... No, you don't have a separate report. You have separate layouts, and it ah, will okay. look at the the uh, uh, the the um, equipment that you're using to to look at the uh, the the report. So, would you then advise users of Power BI to always do at least two layouts, one for phones and one for PCs or computers? No, not not as a general term because. Since Power BI, in most cases, is designed for internal report use, that means that you have a pretty good idea of who's going to be using your reports. And thus, there is no point in having a layout that nobody asked for. If you're doing reports for, for instance, um, industrial um, 
management of, of uh, I don't know, a paper mill or whatever, where people might conceivably look at stuff using their phones or an iPad or stuff like that, then it's a whole different ballgame. But otherwise, no, only use it if you need it to. Then I see the second thing is something that I feel that we have talked about a couple of times already. Yeah. Back in October 2019, there was something called the automatic page refresh. And it is kind of uh, hilarious that it was not until October 2019 that Power BI got automatic page refresh because it's it's one of the most obvious things like ever. Um, previously, you had to um, rely on your own scripts and stuff, and it, it was it was messy to to say the least. But this just went generally available in the June update. So the funny thing is that there there are a few ways of doing it because in April 2020 there was the option to do page refresh with a change detection algorithm. So it 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 run a pretty lightweight query just to check, did the data change? If it did, then we trigger a refresh. Otherwise, we don't. Which, which makes total sense. Sure. This is a premium-only feature. Ah. But automatic page refresh is now supported in both pro and premium. And pro has a minimum refresh interval of 30 minutes, and premium has a default minimum of five minutes, but you can go down to one refresh per second. So that's another reason to use um, a premium, I'd say. Pretty kind, pretty cool. And very, very welcome as a feature. And finally, we have the third thing that I'm, I'm very curious about, and that's the updates to the model view. And when you connect a Power BI desktop to a Power BI dataset, this is where you, you do a, a dataset and then you share that data set and you connect to that. That means that your, your data model is, is uh, fixed. You can't uh, do anything in, with it, but you can just do another uh, visualization. You report off the data set. Are you following me? Yep. And previously you could not look at the data model, so you could not see how the different entities were interconnected. Now you can. And this is, a, again, it's a preview thing, but it's on by default. Uh, and it, it's going to make it easier to just get a grasp on what your data looks like when you start doing your, your reports. Cool. And I, I'm going to ask something that's related to this, but not entirely, because we have talked about this previously. There are, in my world, two very separate groups of people that uses Power BI. It's people like yourselves that you're a Power BI administrator, data wrangler. Yep. And then there are people that actually uses Power BI yep. for work. Is is that a, like representative for how it actually looks in the real world? How many organizations have people like yourself that helps the business side of things to actually use it for what they want to use it for. You're you're partially right, but the funny thing is that you actually simplified reality one step further than I think you you knew or were intended. Uh, and th those are great questions, really really good questions because you're you're hitting the nail on the head with who does what. First you have the wrangling, wrangling stuff. I.e. I have data. How can I make this data usable? 
that's done in Power Query. And that's what give you either a, a well, it's going to give you data flow, basically. Then you have the people designing the data model. How can I interconnect these um, entities? How can I put in, for instance, a date table? What kind of measures do I need to show me the data that I need? That's the data modeling people. And then you have the people doing the visuals, i.e., how can I make sense of this? And these are three different kinds of people. Very, very rarely in a big company are you going to find that it's the same person, but starting out, it's going to be the same guy or girl. And it's, it's kind of, oh, you know, Excel and down the rabbit hole we go. So it's, it's definitely going towards more specialized duties. I think that that's a special episode in itself because I find that very interesting. It's a very, sorry for, for perhaps simplifying this, it's a very industrial way of looking at data and looking at IT, which appeals to me, actually. It, it's going back to the industrial age, but for data. I do sure. this because I'm great at this. I do this because I'm great at this. I do this because I'm great at this. And then you have the finalized product somewhere. But you have all of these other people doing the initial parts of it. I agree. Uh, it's it's People don't realize that you can do separation of duties with Power BI. Uh, but Reza Rad was very early in speaking about how to do that. I have a session on pretty much how, how, how do you separate things that's yep. my my uh, building an empire uh, yep. implementing power bi from from uh, what's it called <laughs> i have no clue it's your session i, I haven't watched it yet but Neither have I, I also I, I also think that we have another contender for the name of this episode simplify reality i just wish it was that easy yeah which kind of brings me to the third news item forced tunneling so do, do you know what forced tunneling is I, I think i grasped the concept uh but please in in what context are we talking about it so forced tunneling refers to making sure that every outbound uh, piece of traffic in azure goes through a a um, virtual appliance for instance to to really look at before you send it out on the internet and this has been doable um, I mean, it, it's quite doable today. You can use a, a VPN gateway. You can use user-defined user routes and God only knows what, what else. But it has not been generally available to do this out of the box from the Azure Firewall. Now you can. Cool. That is cool. And you also, in the same update, got what's known as FQD and filtering in SQL Server. And that means that you can filter that a specific VNet can only talk to a specific, let me say that again, a specific PaaS SQL Server. Because otherwise, before this was available, you can talk to any PaaS SQL Server because you could not specify a specific IP address or a specific name for it. Because it might, the IP address might change and you did not have the ability to do a fully qualified domain name. Now you do. That is kind of big. That's really big. And I think, like, I haven't read it all through, but you have that for Office 365 as well. Sure. Partly. So I think that and this is actually something I would love to learn more about, Azure Firewall in general, because you have so many options that 
previously perhaps were available for people that knew networking, knew Cisco, HP, whatever, but is now available to really anyone. And the funny thing is that comes with a few consequences. Indeed. What's even more fun is the timing, because I just today decided to it. I am going to do a session on networking 101 for Azure SQL Server and as a PAS service. So I've I've just wrote the, the abstract and started doing um, parts of the, the session, and I've already submitted it to... Uh, to a few a few conferences because I think this one will be pretty interesting. But isn't that also very interesting from the perspective where we have how far we have come today? I remember when our friend uh, or our friends uh, Stefan Scherling and uh, Johan Dalbom spoke about Azure networking in general. Yeah. But now we're at the stage where we actually need to look at Azure networking for specific workloads. Yes, and it is very very different. Yeah, because it's the same. I. I I'm uh, doing a session later this year, or perhaps later, depending on if they moved it, move the event or not, on security for WVD. Ooh, so Windows nice. Virtual Desktop, yeah. But you can easily do networking for Windows Virtual Desktop as well. Sure. So I think that that's also a way to show how much the cloud platform has have matured over the years. That we are now looking at specific services and specific networking designs for specific workloads which and, and correct me if i'm wrong we, we didn't really view our on-prem networks that way or did we no we didn't because we don't have different kinds of workloads we have servers exactly we have servers that's exactly it servers they're easy and 90% of the networking stuff in Azure has been geared toward the IAS stuff. Because, for instance, uh, now this is a bit of a, a tangent, but we have the service endpoints. We have the private endpoints that brings the services, i.e. The, the platform as a services, inside of your own private network. That's a whole new kettle of fish. People don't know what it is. People don't know how to use it. So that's part of my session. It's basically... You have the PAS, you have the platform as a service of Azure SQL Server, but how do you actually connect it to your network? How do you actually secure it? Because it is not necessarily secured out of the box. And speaking boxes. <laughs> boxes. I'm on fire. So what is this nested virtualization stuff? We can only do that on Intel hardware, right? Up until today. Nested virtualization is basically running Hyper-V on Hyper-V. Yeah, it's it's the inception style virtualization. Yeah, from from a Microsoft point of view that that's what you're doing. So Hyper-V on Hyper-V. And that's up until now only been available on Intel. And it's been made like it started off by putting it in Azure, but also from Android emulation. And we are now using it for home labs or whatever. But from Windows build 19.6.3.6, you're able to do nested virtualization on AMD CPUs. Uh, they are right now only tested on the first gen Ryzen Epic CPUs and newer CPUs. But um, you should be able to try it out, which I believe our uh, third friend will find very 
much likable since he runs AMD, which I do as well. He's pretty firmly in the AMD camp, yeah. I run AMD as well, but that's not any kind of generation. (laughs) Is that thing older than you are? Close to, I, I believe that this CPU was purchased when I lived with my mother-in-law. So we're talking 10 years ago, but it still runs. So that's when we had the Athlons and the Durons. And I... I, I so, Phen- Phenom. Phenom. And I wanted so badly to have the CPU Moron, but they never did that. <laughs> There are two new courses. The 900 series courses, we've had AZ900, we have PL900, and we have MS900. And those are the fundamental courses, the fundamental level courses, the the one-star courses. They are, in my view, amazing. Everybody who does anything in Azure should do the AZ900. Anybody who does anything in the Microsoft 365 stack should do the MS900, and so on and so forth. We now have two new courses. They literally came out this week. They're in beta. AI 900, I think you can figure out what that is, and DP 900. DP 900 is the data platform fundamentals. And that is something we've we've really, really uh, been missing. I, I would like to take both of them. Go ahead. As an MCT, you know you're not going to be paying very much. And I, I'm going to go for it as soon as I can physically fit them into my schedule. I, I think it's awesome. Absolutely. And I think, that, like you said, everyone who works in IT should take all the 900 courses. You have nothing to lose and you get that basic understanding that makes your knowledge relevant. And it, it's relevant for whatever you do. I agree. And I'm just going to throw in one thing. Next week, it's going to be 8KB, 8 kilobyte. It's a super deep technical conference. 8kb.online it's going to be on the 17th and we're talking a few mind melting and i don't use that word lightly um, sessions on sql server internals we're, we're yeah if you if you think you know sql server attend this conference and realize that you don't because it's going to be absolutely epic i'm very much looking forward to to that one Cool. Is it Microsoft speakers, community speakers? Community. It's it's completely community. Um, it's I think it's three guys that uh, spun this up because they wanted to have something super deep. Yeah. Uh, and and they got it because the the speakers that they have. Well, Bob Ward is in there. Um, uh, Argenis Fernandez is in there. Um, it's going to be a riot. So speaking of riot. So this is actually from January 12th, 2016, and um, from wise.com. I'll just read the headline and we can take it from there. We talked to a witch who casts viruses out of computers with magic. Is that kind of this um, televangelist guy that decided to rid the US of of COVID-19 by screaming at it? (laughs) Sort of. So we... Did it work just as well? Apparently, she she have succeeded in um, cl- cleansing. I think it's the word she uses: computers and other kind of electronics from viruses by leveraging different kinds of stones. Um, you know, the, wh- wh- what I see when you say levering, leveraging stones is I see a huge 
boulder being dropped on a unsuspecting laptop. I can guarantee that it is going to be cleansed after that kind of, of experience. No, like apparently fluoride, amethysts, um, jetstone. She tapes different magic charms on computer chassis. Mercury is used. She called calls in earth, air, fire, and water. So basically, what you're saying is that TrueSec as a company is scared shitless of this woman. We 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 are. We understand that. Yeah, IT is moving faster than we have ever realized. So we are now taking courses in magic, uh, as well as uh, protection spells. And on that bombshell, it is time to end the show. Thank you for listening to Knee Deep in Tech. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode or know where to find these magic items, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at kneedeepintech.com. We will be back next week. And meanwhile, take care. Bye. Bye.